reach, reach around on your seat there, somewhere near you, you'll find a sheet. You're going to need one today because there's a lot of information. Same one as you had last week. But you're going to need to get a hold of one. I ran out of copies, but there should be enough there. Praise God. Let's just bow our heads. Focus on what we're about to do. Hallelujah. Lord, we're very mindful that the, the subject matter that we're looking at has the power to change this world, this life, our lives in this world, to change our eternity, to change the eternity of many. And we pray in light of that, Father, would you open up the heavens and, and pour out your word on us this morning. Let us hear it. I pray for spiritual revelation, for wisdom, insight, understanding, knowledge, revelation to pour down upon us, God. Come, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, help us, we pray. Hallelujah. Amen. Years ago, I think I, I mentioned this to you before, years ago, I, I began, God gave me a word from John chapter 21. And I began teaching on it one Sunday morning, and that was fine. Everything went well. But when I got home, I felt God say, preach on it again. So I did it again, and then God said, preach on it again. And, and I did that for five weeks. And I tell you, people were getting really cheesed off. <laughs> How long are we going to look at this chapter, you know? Because I, I thought I was finished. Look at me. I wasn't finished. I wasn't finished. Because the stuff that we were dealing with, the people had gotten to a place where they had become churchgoers, sitting there every week, yet not implementing what they heard. And it was embarrassing for me, but we did it for about five weeks, and I remember being very frustrated, and we went to a conference, the whole church went to a conference, the guest speaker was Jeff Lucas. And as I mentioned, we walked in that night, everybody sat down, it was all my members around me, and Jeff Lucas said, open up in John 21. The very chapter, now I was over the moon, I was the only one who was over the moon. I think, no, not John 21. You can't get away from it, you know? And, and this, today's topic is a bit like that. I want to recap on what we've done for the last three or four weeks. Now, some of you are getting there, some of you are missing it, making bad decisions, bad choices or whatever, and you run the risk of being left behind. So I'm going to recap today, and we won't look at it again for a little while. But don't miss this opportunity, this opening, this moment, because some things will pass you by if you're not wise enough to seize them. So we're looking at money very, as Pastor Tom said, very controversial topic. The Bible's very clear. There is good prosperity and there is bad prosperity. Okay? They're both out there. And you can prosper, no problem. But that doesn't mean it's God. It doesn't mean it's God that's behind it. Remember, right at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, what happened? The devil came, Satan came, and what did he offer Jesus? Great prosperity. He offered Jesus great wealth. He said, look, Satan said to Jesus, look, all these kingdoms are mine, and I will give them to you if you just follow me. And it's the same for us, folks. You can have your whole life ahead of you, and you need to be careful, particularly at the beginning, particularly at the outset of any venture, any ministry, or life, or business, or whatever. Be very careful, particularly at the beginning, because it's at these times 
that you find the devil, as he did with Jesus, tempt him to compromise, promise him great things, great prosperity, but it was corrupt prosperity. So you see, folks, you can prosper, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's God. There's a lot of wicked people out there who are very prosperous. Do not get vexed, the Bible says, when the wicked prosper. Do not get vexed, but understand that it just leads to trouble. So we're not interested in that type of prosperity at all. We don't want anything to do with it. What I want is God's type. I want the real thing. And the real type of prosperity, as we've looked at the last few weeks, it's riches in glory. It's a glorious thing, a wonderful thing. Now, please look up a moment. This is important. Many of you are messed up on this topic. You're messed up. And you know why you're messed up? Because one half of your brain has heard what God has got to say about this, and the other half has heard what people have told you. And you've got a confused, mixed-up theology that doesn't work. It doesn't function. It doesn't produce wealth in the way that Deuteronomy tells us it should. And the the starting place for us, a bit like we did on Friday night, is to begin by repenting. If you have not tithed, you need to repent. If you've not been sacrificial, you need to repent, etc., etc. You need to start with a clean sheet before God, because He's a holy God, worthy of that, deserving of that, right? And part of the last few weeks as we've looked at, you know, where's the money we called it, as we looked at that, part of it is to try and get our minds clear about what the purpose of prosperity is. It's very clear, folks. The purpose of prosperity is the kingdom of God, to build the church in the world. Hallelujah. That's what it's about. And that's what I believe we're plugging into, and it's actually very exciting. No purpose, no prosperity. No mission, no money. No vision, no provision. And you could go on all day, but they are true. And as I say, we can approach these things from a worldly perspective. I was a Catholic, as you know. So for me, prosperity was, was a bad word, something I didn't want to hear, something I certainly wouldn't teach or preach about, that's for sure. And for me, the, Jesus was poor, right? Jesus was poor, so I should be poor. I mean, didn't Jesus come to preach to the poor? Didn't he? And the answer is yes. Why did Jesus preach to the poor? Because poverty is a curse. Jesus didn't preach to the poor because he loved the poor more than the rich. It says of the rich young ruler, as the rich young ruler was walking away from Jesus, it says this in Scripture, and Jesus loved him. Jesus loved him. So Jesus didn't preach to the poor because he loves the poor as such. He loves everyone. Jesus preached to the poor because poverty is a curse from the devil. And he wanted to break it and set them free. Just like he preached healing to the sick or salvation to the lost. He preached prosperity, which is good news for someone who's poor, right? Hallelujah. And we go out on the streets with our gospel and amen. And we preach righteousness, but you know, if only we put in a little bit about finances, I think you find that people do listen, because that's what Jesus did. He he, he was scratching where they itched. 
He knew the problems that ordinary people faced, and he wanted them to know that I care about that. So we've spent about three weeks. The first week we looked at first fruits. Remember? Now I'm shocked. Many of you have come privately to me, called me, emailed me. Many of you, I, I'm overwhelmed. Actually, I didn't expect that sort of response. I'm very impressed. People have changed their finances, they've changed their structures, they've changed their lives, so that the first fruits is now the first money leaving their account, and I'm delighted. What worries me is the rest of you. <laughs> what worries me is the people who maybe didn't even hear it, but who can sit here and hear something like that and not be moved. Sometimes you've been sitting in church so long as like with Elijah, an angel could appear and you don't do nothing. You don't even react to it. You see, that's a dangerous place to be. But I thank God many people here have restructured their finances in line with the word on first fruits. That was the foundation of we laid for what we're talking about at the moment. Today, let's continue. We're going to leave this subject today. But let's continue to prepare our hearts. The Bible says that when anyone finds the kingdom of God, it's like a man who finds a pearl and he goes and sells everything he has to buy that field. And to me, that's what prosperity is. That I see the future, but I know that our lives, Jeanette and I, our lives, my, my field has got a lot of problems in it, a lot of rocks, a lot of weeds. And I don't want to throw good seed, good cash, good money onto rocky, weedy soil. There are problems in me that I want to get out of me so that I can produce a good financial harvest. Same for us as a church. Hallelujah. So let's look just momentarily at a few of the, the, what shall we say, foundational truths that I advise you to build on. Some of the foundational truths that we are building on. Some of the foundational truths that this church worldwide is built upon. Number one, the Bible is very clear. Do not pursue wealth. Amen? <laughs> do not pursue wealth. Bible is very clear. It says do not pursue wealth. It says do not love money. It says do not hasten to get rich quick. Do not trust in riches. And on and on it goes. Very, very, very clear. And yet that's what many Christians, again, with a wrong perspective. Matthew 6, verse 33 says, Instead of seeking riches, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And all these things will be added to you anyway. God is not against the things. God is not against the prosperity as such. He's against your heart being taken over, being overwhelmed with an, in, an inability in you to cope with wealth. So he says, don't do that. Rather, seek ye first the kingdom. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, it warns us there about the love of money. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So these are the things that we must get out of our system before we are trustworthy in the eyes of God. Trustworthy to actually receive God's type of prosperity. Amen? I don't want the world's type of prosperity. Do you? I don't. I don't want it in my life. You know, I, we were looking at buying a building in Dublin. And I called a couple of business people. One guy was extremely wealthy. And I sat with another pastor. I sat with that guy and I explained our problem. He was extremely wealthy. And his reply to me was this. He said, well, I think I can get two million without Jesus. 
and then we could raise the, we could raise the rest with faith you know and I kind of you know did I just hear that and I say so what, what what was it you think he said well I could get to I think I can do two million without Jesus without Jesus eh? that was the last meeting I ever had with that guy I remember taking the pastor and saying, I, I don't want 2p without Jesus I don't want two pennies without Jesus but but he's got I don't care what he's got I don't care what he's got I don't want to work with someone like that how can you say I can get this without Jesus well where are you getting it what sort of prosperity is that ah, heavens above actually that man was very angry at me sorry but I don't want that sort of wealth that's the world's wealth I want Jesus amen in everything through everything but this is the this is the test you face do not pursue wealth the Bible says do not love money and it says do not hasten to get rich and I'll tell you why because it will lead you to a false hope right a false hope now I deal with many young men in ministry they come out of Bible colleges we put them all over the world and you see this problem again and again and again and it's those who hasten to get rich they haven't sown anything they have no track history haven't been in ministry five minutes and still expect riches but the Bible says remember cast your bread upon the waters and many days many days many days in other words there's a yes the the harvester will overtake this sower but that takes time it takes time and faithfulness and sowing with the right motivation and eventually you reap a harvest for the good you have done if you don't give up so those who hasten to get rich the Bible says they pierce themselves with many griefs many sorrows in this life good advice from Jesus there and of course don't trust in riches that was the rich young rulers problem we won't read it this morning but you can go home and read it in Psalm 1 it's a list of what not to do as a Christian as you begin to look at prosperity it says blessed is the man who does not and then God gives us a list of things that can stop you from being blessed blessed is the man who does not sit in the seat of the mocker or the scornful or walk in the way of sinners and he gives a list of things that can stop us from being blessed I, I just love that that's fantastic we on Friday night we began by repenting and then we just prayed for a little while and got some of this stuff out of our lives so don't answer out loud do you pursue wealth or are you pursuing the kingdom are you in a mad rush to get wealth quick well the Bible warns us about that be careful have you any love of money remember it doesn't matter whether you're poor or rich there's plenty of poor people who love money right do you love money you need to get that like a weed out of your field you need to get it out of your heart and let Christ occupy your heart the second phase we went to and the second thing I want to consolidate in you this morning is making faith the foundation of our giving making faith the foundation of our prosperity not the fact that you're smart not the fact that you've got a degree as most of you have here not the fact that you've got a qualification listen folks I know a lot of very smart people and they don't have a lot of money 
I know a lot of very smart people, and they never seem to prosper. No matter what they do, they seem to put money in pockets with holes in it. Funny, isn't it? Because if the motivation is not right, you will not prosper because you've got a good father who will make sure that he keeps you on the right road. You see, faith has got to be the foundation of our prosperity. Not your career, not your business plan, not but faith, because it is only faith to which God responds. We were, I was asking the people on Friday, who was the richest man who ever lived? Solomon. And who was the second richest man who ever lived? Joseph of Arimathea. And they say that because of this. Joseph of Arimathea had the body of Jesus for three days. It's a staggering thought. It truly is. Joseph was entrusted with the body of Jesus Christ for three days. And so they reckon he was the second richest man, if you like, who ever lived, most blessed man. But my point in raising that was this. How did, when you get to heaven, where do you think Joseph will be? How close to the throne? I reckon Joseph is a significant figure for all eternity because he was the one trusted to provide the tomb for the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow! And I believe that will bring him near to God. But my point is this. He bought that. He bought that with money. Now, you don't hear what I'm not saying and don't corrupt or make cheap what I'm saying, right? Please, be honorable. What I'm saying is this. Joseph of Arimathea understood how money could be used. He was wise. Abube rang me a couple of weeks ago, and she said that, bang, in the middle of the meeting, about four or five weeks ago, something just came upon her because of something I said. I said, you can take a fiver, and you can go and get yourself a cup of coffee and a Mars bar, and it's gone. Or you can put it in heaven. And the same fiver will exist forever. Do you want to do a course on investment? Do you want to do a course on smart investments? Stocks and shares? How about this? Take a fiver and give it. And that fiver will last forever to your account. Philippians, right? Where Paul says, I want to see that which can be credited to your account forever. Fantastic. And the second thing we looked at is that faith, not our smarts, but faith has got to be the foundation of all our giving, of the motivation of our hearts is purified, and faith is the foundation. If you don't make faith the foundation, what happens, people, is they start to get a chip on their shoulder. They start to get an attitude, you know? And they, they, they act as if God owes them something. And Paul warns us of that. You know, in Romans 11, verse 35, Paul says, no man has ever given God anything. In other words, God doesn't owe you anything, right? Amen? Amen? <laughs> God owes you nothing. Absolutely nothing. He owes you nothing. But the world in which we live can get us behaving with a bit of an attitude towards God. Hey, God, I paid my tithe. I did this. I did that. Terrible impudence in the presence of a king. Terrible. Part of that is the days in, in which we live 
Take a look at that. Duty, service, and sacrifice. The three levels on which God expects you to operate. Don't answer out loud, but what would you call a duty? What would you call your acts of service? And what would you call a sacrifice? Jesus dealt with this, dealt with it very well, beautifully actually. He told a parable of a servant who works all day and then comes home and prepares his master a meal. And Jesus says, does the, service, does the servant get a thank you? Does he? No, because the servant has only done his duty. No thank yous, no attitudes. So what's my service then? By the way, your duty, cell group, prayer meeting, Sunday, that's your duty, tithing, sacrificial living, that's your duty. Jeanette's got a broken hip. She was up all Friday night. She was in the church four o'clock this morning, standing because she wants to stand praying, praying for you for about three hours. Sacrifice? No. No, you've got no right to sit there if you're not going to do your duty. It's just your duty, amen? That's just your duty. You're not a hero. You're not a hero because you do that. You're just doing the normal things that are expected of a Christian. Hello. So Jesus said, the guy works all day, and then he comes in, he serves the king, in other words, a worker, working full-time, coming in, and serving the king, serving Jesus, and part, after he finished work. Now does he deserve a thing? No, he's just doing his duty, right? And then after that comes your service. That's your gifting. So you've got those in the worship team up all Friday night, and where were they last night? Back in the church back doing their service, acts of service, preparing for worship. You see? So it's a lot to be a Christian, just to function as a Christian in duty. Then you get your giftings and how those giftings function. And ultimately, if you're going to be a leader, it involves all of those put together plus a lot of sacrifice. You see? So in terms of true prosperity coming into our lives, that's your list, folks. That's the reality of the Christian life. So there's no room for attitudes, none whatsoever. Faith has got to be the basis of our giving. Faith has got to be the basis of, of, of really all our Christian lives. It says whatever is not of faith is sin. Amen? The second thing I would say about faith, faith in you, is you need to, you need to hear from God. Faith comes by hearing, not reading not reading. Knowledge comes by reading. Information comes by reading. Education can come by reading, but not faith. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. And that happens in environments like this, which is why it's so important for you to be here, you know, and hear as much of the Word of God. You could read a parable a hundred times and get nothing out of it, but someone preaches on it, bang, you get it. What's just happened to you? you've heard. Exactly. Because faith doesn't come by reading. It comes by hearing the Word of God. And that's why we have to repeat these things, because many of you do not get it. So we have to keep on knocking, keep on knocking, until it's really established within you. Okay? The next thing we looked at was, was this. And it's a very common thing, but I love it. It's important that we constant, 
carefully look at this, remember the Hebrew word for salvation has four elements. And the, the, the whole cause of your Christian life is to not get stuck on righteousness. It wasn't just to impute righteousness to you that God saved you. It was to push you down into these other things. All of these are contested by the world and the church, all of them. When I first got saved, I started telling people I was saved. And you know what it's like. People think you're cocky, cheeky, arrogant. I said, no, I'm just saved, that's all. Don't blame me, I'm just telling you the truth. But they can't cope with righteousness. And any church that endeavors to operate in these things, you will suffer rejection on each point. Pastor Tom set us up, you know, last month, listen to this, folks, last month, 23,000 people visited our website to get messages. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You can say amen there. Tom set us up with this fantastic link to a wonderful website. Um, And we were going to feed through our messages because they had something like two or three million members on that site. And, and, And we got the link all set up. And then they looked at our stuff and they said, we don't want you. We don't want you on our website. And he contacted them and they said, well, we don't believe in healing deliverance. They, they didn't believe in that sort of stuff. And they, they, they didn't want, this is today, and this is a, a massive group of Christians in the world. Amazing, isn't it? Amazing. You see, it's crazy. It's sad, folks. Those people would, would, would talk all day about righteousness. And they would see healing as something that's in heaven. It's a future thing. Oh, one day we're all going to go to heaven and everybody will be healed. But you can stay sick for the moment. One day we're all going to go to heaven and praise God, we'll have conquered, you know, we'll conquer the demons. One day we'll go to heaven and we'll be prosperous. And it's all a future thing. Well, that's religion talking, you see. That's religion talking. These things, I don't know about you, but I need money now. You can say amen there, yeah. I don't need money then. I'm not going to need money when I get to heaven. Neither are you. You don't need healing when you get to heaven. You don't need right. I mean, you'll be righteous. There'll be no sin there. I don't need these things then. I need them right now in this world. But the church struggles with these things. Always does. You start, remember, in in Luke's gospel, when Jesus healed the man with a bad arm, what did they say about him? Let's kill him. Heaven's above how wicked the human heart is just because Jesus healed someone but they couldn't cope with healing you see and it's you will get rejection in any church in any Christian who goes after these things and seeks to establish them you're going to get a fight on your hands to do exactly that and I I know because I've been up and down that list and you get all sorts of reactions some people are experts in everything negative experts In other words, if there were six people over here talking amongst themselves about some positive happenings, some good test, and there was one person over there with a negative tale, oh, hang on, excuse me, I just heard something negative. And then they would take that information and spread it. Some people just can't help themselves. Do you know when it comes to prosperity? Many Christians will broadcast everything negative. Did you hear about this evangelist who drives a Rolls Royce or everything negative? They will gossip and spread, but nothing positive. And yet the Bible has a lot of positive things to say about. In fact, it has 97 each. You know the word rich in the Bible? If you look it up, 
it's, meant, it's mentioned 97 times positively and 97 times with a warning. Perfectly balanced throughout your Bible. Amen? So God wants to get prosperity to you, but it comes absolutely. It comes with a warning, a big warning. And in the main section of our all-nighter, we looked at the anti-prosperity detector to just look at ourselves and see if in any way we, we, are, we are missing it with God or what is it in me, <coughs> excuse me, what is it in me that's stopping me from prospering? And some of these will be yours, folks. Some of these are mine, and we're working on them right now. Just to run through them quickly. Is God good enough in your eyes? Do you see God is good? You know, sometimes if your earthly father was hard, you may see God as hard. Is God good enough in your eyes? Number two, have you reacted to extremes in prosperity teaching? Many people do this. This is what I did. I hated the word prosperity because I was reacting. Do you know what, folks? Reaction will always lead you to error. Reactions, reaction, reacting to something instead of acting upon it will always lead you over the cliff. You can't do that. Rather, learn. Look and learn biblically and act. Don't react. Have you failed to study? Because these things require study. Have you built from Scripture? Or have you built from someone else? As I said at the beginning, some people will be heavily influenced by others. You know, my Uncle Bob says that Jesus was poor. My Uncle Bob says that Christians shouldn't be wealthy. My Uncle Bob, my Uncle Bob, my Uncle Bob. Ah! Oops. <laughs> We've got to build from Jesus. You've got to build from Scripture. But many people, especially those who would argue with me and argue with you, they will come to you and they will not say to you, look at me, folks, listen. They will not say to you, I guarantee you, bring you to Scripture. They'll tell you what their friend said. That's what they'll do. My friend says, this is wrong. My friend says, blah, blah, blah. You see, you need to build from Scripture. You need to listen to God who gives you a very balanced very good, solid perspective on prosperity. Don't build from what your friends say. Number six, tithing and giving, of course, is, is fundamental. Sorry, that's number five. Number six, are you concerned about what other people say? The truth is, you see, many people are very happy to talk about righteousness. But if I'm not happy to talk about healing, like our friends who communicated with us, then what I'm actually, I'm ashamed of healing. And that's scary. Because Jesus says, anybody who is ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of them. And I had to change my mind, folks. There was a time in my life when I would not speak of prosperity. And God forgive me for that. Because that's wicked. Jesus died to bring prosperity. And I was ashamed of it. And you need to get over it. And to share the full gospel. Amen? wherever you go, at any cost. God wants us to minister on all four of those points. Don't be ashamed of them. Number seven, have I been mindful of the poor? And we looked at how important that is. Whoever gives to the poor lends to the Lord, and God himself promises to repay us. Have we been evangelistic? Or what's your speech? Speech is crucial, very important, that you don't curse your own seed. Or lose patience with what you've sown 
You put seed in the kingdom, don't speak negatively because the words that come out of your mouth, terrible, terrible. I've had a real problem with that. I'm better now than I used to be, thank God. Or number 10, have you got yourself in debt? Because as long as you're in debt, you can't really properly prosper because you've always got that debt. And debt is one of the end times weapons, I believe, of the devil, plain and simple. It's a tool, it's a weapon in the last days to entice people in to borrowing and borrowing and borrowing until they can't give or they feel they can't give. So watch your debt. Debt is a, is a, is a crippler. Have you been unethical in your business practices? And I shared on Friday night, I thank God it, it was at the beginning of our lives in ministry that we had some big decisions to make about business and what to do and how to do it. And I thank God, as I look back, we did the right thing, amen? We did the right thing many times over. Again and again, we made the right business decisions so that we were able to go in and out with enough profit to keep us even to this very day. Thank God, at the beginning, at the beginning, Satan tempted Jesus. And at the beginning, man, we had plenty of opportunities to sin or to get things wrong or to not put God first or to not be offering our lives sacrificially. And we did not do that. And I, I, I really praise God for it. So be careful. Unethical business practices, that's a killer. You're a Christian. You know the score. You know how to put God first. Make sure you do it. Or have you just been foolish? You know, if you live in this country, you don't have an income problem. <laughs> You've got plenty of money. You all look at me. No, I don't. <laughs> You've got plenty of money. It's not an income problem. You know what you have? A spending problem. You spend too much. You've got a lifestyle problem. You don't have an income problem. You've actually, most likely, you have more than enough already which is the definition of prosperity, by the way. You have more than enough. But it's spending in our culture, and that's where the debt and the foolishness comes in. And if that's the case, then you need to go get down to brass tacks and start being wise with your spending. Rein in your spending. And as Abube shared, why not take that fiver and put it into glory? Put it into heaven. Jesus says that's wise, very wise. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. You take these things home and you study them and you look at them. Are you frightened that money will turn you from God? Are you frightened that money will turn you from God? I certainly was. That was a big problem to me. I used to think about that quite a lot. I think, well, God, if you give me this or give me that, can I cope? Can you cope? Can you cope with keeping God first if he did bless you? And many people say, you know, if God gave me a million pounds, I'd give it to God. Would you? Well, let's start with a tenner in your pocket then. Amen? Let's deal with that. And we're on the road, aren't we? Because that's, that, that, that's daydreaming. That's what that is. It's daydreaming. You need to put the seed in the ground. And after many days, don't look for a harvest if you haven't done anything yet. If you haven't sown yet, if you're a newcomer, please, get your seed in the ground. Live for God. And live by the principles that you know. 
And after many days, you can see that return. Are you trying to justify your own lack by denying scriptural truths? You will often get that, and I'm sorry to say, but especially in the poorer areas of any city. You, you visit there, and Christians in those areas will often try to justify the fact that they've got no money by denying prosperity. Right? You get it all the time. Foolish. Or do you say, not me? Very easy to do that. Remember the widow of Zarephath? Astonishing story. God had the prophet Elijah, and God was intending to bless the prophet. And who did he choose? A refugee. He chose an asylum seeker, a widow with no money. Well, she had a little bit of uh, oil, flour, and a glass of water. Astonishing stuff. There are plenty of other people God could have used, but no. God chose someone who had next to nothing. In fact, she said, we're just about to eat this, and then we're going to die. Now, that widow could easily have thought to herself, hey, if anybody's going to prosper around here, it's not going to be me. Not me. Because I haven't got anything. But she was completely wrong, because she was the very one that God was about to prosper. So you see, it really doesn't matter, folks, this morning, whether you've got 10 pounds in your pocket or a million. It doesn't matter. All the widow's debts were paid simply because she was responsive to the prophet. Her heart was obviously right. And as we close off this section, this period of looking at, at this, actually, just let me show you one last thing before I move on to treasures. Just as a word of encouragement, we looked at this. There's been times in my life when I know that I know that I know that God is on my side. I've had a word from him. He's telling me everything's going to be all right with this or with that. And I know that I'm okay. So God's on my side. I'm okay. And yet I still don't get the breakthrough. What's going on? It's what was happened to Daniel. Remember? Daniel prayed. God heard Daniel's prayer. But Daniel didn't get an answer. And 21 days go by. And an angel, Angel Michael, comes to Daniel and taps him on the shoulder and says, Daniel, don't be afraid. From the fr you were right. From the first day that your heart was right. From the first day, God did hear you. You were answered. There's another problem. The problem isn't God, Daniel, and the problem isn't you, Daniel. The problem is what Daniel, uh, the angel calls the prince of Persia. A demonic force was fighting you. But don't worry, God sent me to defeat him to set you free. Hallelujah. One of the first things that happened on Friday night was I saw a vision of angels. Angels. Jesus. See, folks, I, I'm sharing this. On, I, I'm, I'm a seer. In here, they're called seers. S-E-E-R-S. There are people who see things. And I see things. I've done it all my life. And I saw angels being released. And I, with all my heart, I believe they're released for this reason, to prosper you. Just like it was released for Daniel. Daniel's heart was right. Everything was in order. But he needed a bit of help. So God released angels. And on Friday, at least for those of you who were there, if you didn't make the sacrifice to be there, I can't help you. You're going to have to go back and do this yourself. But for those of you who were there, I tell you this, don't leave without your angel.
because we've claimed that. I've claimed that. I say, God, I want that because I'm praying for many things and I intend to have that back up in my life. Amen? Wonderful. This hasn't changed. This hasn't changed. So if you start struggling financially, know that God is on your side and He will bring you through this. Let's fight and believe for Him to see us through. And we finish there where we're going to finish this morning with this point. In order for God to get the true treasures, the riches of glory into your life, some things have to come out of your heart first. And whether you're aware of it or not, there are things in your heart, things that he needs to remove. God is a jealous God, a jealous God. As I mentioned, I, I fancy Jeanette. Sorry, but I do, you know. And before I asked her to marry me, this guy rang her up. And he fancied her as well. So I was going to kill him. <laughs> but I didn't. I'm a Christian. <laughs> but I, I was sharing, that's the first time that I've ever experienced real, true jealousy. Jealousy is a good thing. Envy is when you want what someone else has. Jealousy is when you want what's yours. You're God's. You belong to God. And when there's something else in your heart, he's jealous because you're mine. I don't want that in your heart. It doesn't matter what it is. So I went up, you know, I, I, in fact, on Friday we had a sheet and I went up and I wrote Jeanette's name on it. And I, I sort of put her out of my heart, if you understand. It was quite difficult. I had to go home. I had to tell her she had to pack her bags and go. To, I wanted to. <laughs> I had to put her out of my heart. Not, not an easy thing to do. But believe me, folks, there's something in your heart. And until that is gone, you can't actually receive. It depends how serious you are. But you can't actually receive the riches of glory. Abraham, what was his problem? His family. He wouldn't leave his father. Father came before the church. Well, sorry, unless you hate your father and mother, you cannot follow me. You're not worthy to be my disciple. So Abraham didn't pass that test. He took his father with him. Cost him five years, wasted time, nothing happened. Then his father died. So God came back to him again and said, okay, your father's dead. I'll try with you again. Now take Lot. And he goes in and you know the story. Abraham wanted land. He wanted wealth. He was pursuing wealth. But he learned, he was older, he was wiser. And Abraham stood and he looked at the land. And Lot was standing there. An older, wiser Abraham got prosperity, seeking riches out of his heart. And he said, Lot, you take it. I'm going for something better, something greater, something eternal. God didn't start with Isaac. He started with the family. You need to leave them. Then he moved on to prosperity, and Abraham gave it up. Then we get down to business. Now, take your son, your only son, the last thing that remains in your heart, and sacrifice him. And Abraham, this is why he's the father of faith. Abraham took his son up the mountain, and what he was doing was emptying his heart. Up goes the knife, down comes the angel, stop right there. 
I just needed to get some space, Abraham, so that I could pronounce the blessing upon the rest of history. Fantastic. The blessing of Abraham through which every good thing in your life has come, by the way. Every blessing came from that. It's astonishing. From that moment. In blessing, I will bless you. You'll be a blessing to the nations for all generations. And on it goes. It was the starting point. And some people say, well, why did it take God 2,000 years to find Abraham? Well, obviously, he couldn't find anybody with an empty heart. You see? Obviously, he couldn't find a man who would take his son based on the Word of God. No Bible, remember? He couldn't find someone who had enough faith to do that. I mean, for me, it would be to take you, Jeanette. Take Jeanette and lift up the knife. And I think to myself, well, could I do that? Well, I probably could, actually, but um, could I do that? <laughs> oh, go on, then. <laughs> could I do that? You see? Take your son, your only son, and sacrifice him. God was simply doing one thing. He was making space in a human being's heart so that he could deposit treasure there. It's not just Abraham, by the way. It's all over the Scriptures. In, in, in Mark's Gospel, chapter 12, where the widow's might. Do you know what it says? It says, where's the offering bags? There, there's, there's the offering boxes. It says that Jesus was at the temple one day, and it says that Jesus was sitting beside the offering box, the treasury, it says. Imagine that. Imagine if Tom and I held, held the box here, and you had to come up and put your offering in, you know? How would you feel about that? Some people get spooked out by that. They want to, you know, hide everything, get in a, a wonky perspective on things. That's not how it was done at all, by the way. Because 10% is 10%. I know what your 10% is. You see, it wasn't a secret. It was the tithes coming in. You see? And he sat there because he was looking for treasure. It was the treasury. Jesus sat by the treasury. And your heart is that treasury. It was a box in the... It's our heart today. The woman with the alabaster jar. We sing it all the time. She took her treasure. It was oil for anointing. It was her family's grave. Cost a fortune, a year's wages. She took her treasure and poured it out at the feet of Jesus. And it's not rocket science. If you empty your heart, then God's got room in your heart to deposit Riches from glory, basically. And it just depends how ruthless, because that's what Abraham was, just depends how ruthless, how radical, how passionate you're actually going to be, how much you want to see the kingdom established, that's what it actually all boils down to. For God was so passionate about saving you that he gave his only son. He gave his only son. Hallelujah. So folks, what I'm saying is this. I think we've moved on. We've taken a major step on Friday. I'm delighted. We had 40 people there. And I pray that you were changed and that you will never be the same for the rest of your life. And for those of you who missed that, you made the wrong set of choices. You made the wrong decisions, probably because you've been in church too long and you're no longer here. Okay? Just being honest with you. You can't afford to keep on doing that. 
you need to start getting your eyes on God Almighty. What I mean is this. If I gave you a sheet last Sunday saying God's inviting you to be kingdom millionaires next Friday night and you go to bed, then you're the closest thing to insane. I know. <laughs> you understand? If you get an invitation, you're nuts. You're absolutely nuts. You need to make the sacrifices, the decisions that show that you are sold out for the kingdom. Now you can say amen there. You can make the decisions that show that you're going to pursue the kingdom and others will follow you. So this morning, I'm going to invite the worship team back. You empty your heart of every treasure and make room for God and realize that there's not much time left on this earth, folks. Hallelujah. Stand and let's pray. Hallelujah. Just close your eyes one moment. We're going to sing that song more than finest gold. It is you, Lord Jesus. And Father, we repent this morning of our attitude to finance or a casual attitude to these things, when these are kingdom things. I pray you will give us true wisdom, true wisdom, true wisdom. Let us see money from a biblical perspective, from your perspective. God, we repent if ever we have robbed you, not tithed, not given our offerings or acted without faith. Forgive us, and I pray you would build in us a firm foundation for the future, that we would do our duties without attitudes, that we would fulfill our service without complaining, and that we would sacrifice with great gladness to a holy God. Lord, I pray for every person here that you enable them, enable me, to empty my heart of all earthly treasure. Take your son, your only son, and take him to the mountain I will show you. Take your treasure, whatever that is, and lay it at the feet of Jesus here this morning. Hallelujah. You know, we're, we're on to something, okay? Do you know Rod Parsley? Anybody know Rod Parsley? Amen? Listen to this. Rod Parsley had built a Bible college and a huge church, 10, 15, 20,000 members in America. And one day he's driving around, he gets a phone call, says, your son is dying. I think it was a brain hemorrhage. And he goes to the hospital, and the son's in a coma, and in a mess. He looks at the son, and he thinks, my God, he's going to die. And they said, there's nothing we can do. The boy will die. And Rod Parsley, having done many things, and given a lot of money, understood money. What Joseph of Arimathea knew, I can actually use money in the right way. I can sanctify it. I'm not talking about manipulation. It's not where we're going. Please don't go there, okay? Don't let your a corrupted heart misguide you right now because that's not what I'm saying. Rod Parsley did not have the faith to bring healing to his dying son. But you know what he did have? Faith for money because he'd been doing it for years. He'd been giving for years. So he went home and he said, God, I can't heal my son because it's not the area of my expertise. But you know what, God? I've been giving for years. 
said, you know what I'm going to do, Lord? I'm going to make an offering. I'm going to make an offering. I'm going to bring some money. And he never told anybody how much he gave, but he said that he, he couldn't even raise a tenth of it if he had tried. And he made a pledge. And he gave that pledge to Jesus. I think it was probably something like a million bucks, you know. I said, I pledge that I will do this. He goes back to the hospital. The boy is up. The brain is healed. And he walks out with his son. Now, you can't buy miracles. Don't, please don't corrupt what I'm saying. Understand what I'm saying. We opened a building in Dublin. It's the building they, they, they use to this very day. It's a big warehouse. And before we opened, we didn't have enough money. The place had a concrete floor. And I wanted it to look smart for the opening day. And I said to the people, look, you can't bring a crowd in an opening day like this. It's a disgrace. Please bring in some funds and let's do this. One woman walked up to me and she took what she had. It was actually 8,000 pounds. It was all she had. Like the widow's mite. Like the oil. And she said, Pastor, I'll pay. I'll pay for the whole lot. Carpet the church. And make it respectable for God. She was a poet. So the opening day came. And the order of service was very tight because there's too much to do. And people were saying, so-and-so wants to say, no, there's no time. Mrs. So-and-so wants to do it. No, there's no time. Somebody wants to sing a song. No, there's no time. The answer is no. So don't ask. We're just about to start the That lady came with a poem, <laughs> a long poem. And she walked up to me. I said no to everybody. She walked up and she said, I would like to read this. And I said, for you, absolutely. Because you sacrificed. You're asking me for this. You gave me money. And you're, asking, you're not asking me for money. You're asking me for a favor. And I hear you because you heard me. Wow. Now we're on to something. Friday night was a tide mark. It was a change. Amen. <laughs> it was a change in the, the gears around here. And it's a change for sacrifice. Hallelujah. Getting ready for the return of Christ. Getting ready for that. So, you know, in, in, you know the parable of the shrewd manager? It's one of the strangest parables in Scripture. Is my Bible behind there, Mervyn, please, on, on that? Luke chapter 16, isn't that right? Look at this. Thank you. Look at this a minute, just in case you think Pastor Tom's off his trolley. I mean, I'm off my trolley. <laughs> Luke chapter 16, look at this. We're talking about money this morning, folks. God is determined to sanctify your attitude to money so that funds can flow through this church to the kingdom. Amen. Look at this, Luke chapter 16. If this wasn't in the Bible, I wouldn't believe it. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. 
I know what I will do so that when I lose my job here, people there will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe the master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he, described, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 400. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. Now look at the next verse. This is the awesome bit. If it wasn't in the Bible, I wouldn't. But look at this. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. And in verse 9, I tell you, and this is where it straightens itself out for us, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself. Use, this is where it straightens out. Of course, don't be dishonest. That's not what this parable is saying. It's Jesus is arriving at a point here. Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. It's the same principle. You understand? It's the same principle. And we need to, I just believe, just the reason I came up was because I believe, and this is the, if you, I, I could almost say it's a word, maybe it is. Some of you are praying for something. Whether it's a husband, a wife, a baby, a career, some of you are praying for something. And I think God would just let you know, uh, I take cash. Uh, you know what I mean? Don't corrupt it. Don't say what I'm not saying. But Rod Parsley knew that he had strengths and he had weaknesses. He played to his strength. You seldom lose when you play to your strength. Right? Father, whatever the needs are in this place, I thank you that you're a good God who's trying to help us and to aid us to follow you. And you said it was wise to take worldly wealth and to gain influence in that parable. And so we once again, once again, we recommit the treasures of our heart. Would you please bless us with kingdom wisdom? Bless us with kingdom wisdom. And we enter into 2011, Lord, with a newfound heart and newfound faith to give, to be a blessing in this world. Hallelujah.